And it's, a, it's unfortunate that we don't read through these Old Testament books because there's so much wisdom, so many things. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 15 that the things that were written beforehand were written for our instruction, for our encouragement. So these aren't just old stories that Andy Stanley would say we ought to detach ourselves from the Old Testament. There is so much in the Old Testament. And listen, the 39 books of the Old Testament are just as inspired as the 27 books of the New Testament. They matter. The entire canon of Scripture matters. They all point us to Jesus. And so we should never discard any of it, even though we're not under the law, or nor are we Israelites in the physical sense, per se. We should never discard any of the Word of God. So I hope that as we look at this story from Numbers chapter 22, I'm going to look at the whole chapter. I'm not going to read it to you because we're just going to pull out some things as we go along through it. But I hope that you will see some things that will help you today. It's amazing to me how God always ties things together before we even know where we're going. Brian puts out the song list before he knows what my message is. I work on my message before I ever read the Sunday school lesson. And yet all the things just come together. We looked in our Sunday school lesson about wisdom and mentoring and how important it is to have people in our lives that are willing to pour into us, not just the things that we want to hear, but the things that we need to hear. And it's important for us to be able to do the same things. That's one of the things, and one of the important things about belonging to a local church is that we help one another to grow, to mature, to see blind spots in our life that we can't see, and ultimately to become more like Jesus as a result. Sometimes that works well, sometimes it doesn't. But that should always be the goal. So I want to preach to you a message today that may be a bit difficult on the surface for you to receive. But I pray, number one, you'll receive it not as my word, but as the word of God. And number two, you'll just consider what you see in these verses about Balaam and how you don't want to end up where he ended up. Okay? The title of my message this morning is Don't Strike the Donkey. Don't Strike the Donkey from Numbers chapter 22. I want to start with a story here this morning says in 2019, there was a bank, uh, that, I'm sorry, a bank that accidentally deposited $120,000 into Robert and Tiffany Williams' bank account. Can you imagine if you got on your app in the morning and looked that up and found out you were $120,000 richer? Well, hopefully, after the excitement wore off, you would use some wisdom and say, this is obviously a mistake. It's not my money. To keep. But if you got bad counsel like these folks did, you would go another direction. These two folks purchased an SUV, a camper, two four-wheelers, and gave $15,000 to their friends. The bank called later to report the error and asked for the money to be returned, which obviously now wasn't possible. They were taken to court and charged with felony theft. And when the husband was interviewed, he said simply this, all I'm going to say is that we took some bad legal advice from some people and it probably wasn't the best thing in the end. Duh, right? <laughs> but seriously, if you take advice from people, hopefully it's godly advice. Hopefully it's advice from a source that you would trust. And so I want us to look at some things today in this story, and I'm not going to read it, but I want you to just understand, 
what was going on. So Israel has been fighting and conquering all the lands that God had promised them as they're making their way towards Canaan, all right? And they end up camping in the plains of an area called Moab. If, if you're familiar with the Old Testament at all, you will know that Moab was the son of Lot and his incestuous relationship with his daughters. And so Moab was a nation that while they had some connection as God's people, they were never really blessed like God's people. But Israel was always told to not destroy Moab because of that relationship. So they were there. They were kind of like that annoying neighbor. They're there, but you just rather just leave them alone and get involved with them kind of deal. And so that's kind of where they're at. They're camped outside of Moab. And the king, whose name is Balak, he's heard about what they've been doing. He's seen God work on their behalf. And he looks out the window and he sees millions of people camped outside of his doorstep. And he starts to get a little nervous. And probably rightly so. And uh, he decides that what he's going to do is to try to get some help, some counsel, from an outside source. There's a guy that lives in the area. He's well known by most people. His name is Balaam. Balaam is a pagan priest, and Balaam has the ability, or at least so they think, to communicate with gods. Different, Because remember, in this time, every nation had a god. All right? So... The God of Israel was obviously Yahweh, but all the other nations had gods that they served, and so they could get a hold of Balaam if they needed to talk to their God, and he was what was called a diviner. He had the spirit of divination, the Bible says. He had ways of communicating with these gods to get answers for the people's questions. And so Balak, the king of Moab, sends for Balaam, and he wants an answer about what he should do. More than that, he wants God to just kind of take care of things for him. So he wants Balaam to seek God to pronounce a curse on the people of Israel. So that's, that's kind of an overview of how chapter 22 starts. And I thought a lot about, you know, this week, getting into this message. And we live in a world today, it became real popular a few years ago when Donald Trump ran for president, but fake news Right? He would always say that. There was memes about it. you are fake news and all this stuff when he talked to CNN and back and forth. But there is a lot of truth to the idea that there is just a lot of bad information out there. Right? So, so much so that they've, they've got people called fact checkers now who promote bad news, right? who promote false news, and, and you know, they, they censor uh, things that don't fit an agenda rather than actually being true fact checkers. But it's hard in today's world to really know if the source is truthful, if the information is right, because it's not just so simple anymore just looking it up on Google, because even that's corrupted, right, in a lot of ways. And so I found more and more that this book alone is the one thing that I can open up and know that I'm getting the truth from, Amen. right? Of all the other sources in life that are going to fail me, I can trust that this one is not going to. And yet it's so hard when we need to get information because beyond the Word of God, we need people that we can confide in and trust in. And sometimes that's easy to recognize and sometimes it's not so easy to recognize. So we, we have to be careful where we get our information from. But I found something else over the years in ministry too, and, and you probably have just in life in general, 
a lot of times people aren't seeking answers as much as they just want affirmation. They don't want to know an answer. They just want somebody to agree with what they're doing. Sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. But they just want somebody to come alongside of them and say, yes, it's okay what you're doing. Yes, I agree with what you're doing. Yes, I encourage what you're doing. We see that this weekend uptown. A whole bunch of people want to be affirmed. They don't want answers. They don't want to, well, I won't say none of them. I don't want to stereotype and group it in, but the majority are not looking for answers. They're not looking to hear the other side of the debate. They want to just be affirmed in their decision. And that's not just for that crowd. That's for this crowd in here, too. That's for the pastor, too. There's times when we just want people to agree with us, not tell us what we need to hear, what we want to hear. But the Bible says in Proverbs 27, 6, that faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And as we look at this story, we're going to see Balaam, and we're going to see Balak, and we're going to see the Midianites and the Moabites, but there's another character in this story that we might miss if we weren't looking for him, and that is the donkey. The donkey has more sense than anybody else in this story. And the donkey is trying to save Balaam's life. He's trying to help Balaam from driving headlong into and off of a cliff. And we're going to see that Balaam takes all of his anger and frustration out on the one person that's trying to help him, or the one thing that's trying to help him in this case. So I want to look, we're going to look at several points today, and I'm going to try to move through them fairly quickly so I don't keep you here forever. But I want us to see in the life of Balaam how he continued to make bad decisions, even when good godly wisdom was available to him, and how ultimately it's going to lead to his downfall, and how it can lead to ours if we're not careful. So how do we walk in wisdom when temptations come against us? Because every one of you in this room is going to be tempted at times to deviate from God's will and follow your own. The flesh is constantly going to be pulling you in a different direction. And you're going to always be able to find people that will affirm you in that decision if that's where your heart already wants to go. And it's a battle every day, guys, to walk in God's will rather than in the flesh. It's not just going to happen without putting in the effort and the work to know God's word, to pray daily, to put on the armor, to listen to godly counsel and not the people out there that just want to see you join them in their folly, right? It's about the intent of the heart. We talked about that in Sunday school. But I want you to see a few things. Look with me, starting at verse 5. It says there, Then he, Balak, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Look, a people has come from Egypt. That's the Israelites. See, they cover the face of the earth, and they're settling next to me. Now notice this, verse 6. Therefore, please come at once. Curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. Number one, when temptations come... And counsel is offered to you. How do you know if it's wise, godly counsel or not? Number one, you need to recognize the source. This was a bad proposition from the start because of who it came from. 
This man was an enemy of God's people. And so right off the bat, the proposition that he is making is from a bad source. And too often, we don't need to even entertain the information if the source is bad. If the spring is corrupt, you don't need to fill up the glass and taste it to see if the water is. Stay away from it. Just avoid it. Don't go to places where you know that the source is not going to give you godly instruction. So it starts off bad. This enemy of Israel is the one that is ultimately going to be seeking the advice. Let's go on into verse 7. It says there, So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the diviner's fee in their hand. And they came to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balak. Not only do we need to recognize the source, oftentimes the enemy is working through people that we should detach ourselves from. We need to understand that not everybody should have access into our life especially if it's ungodly. I'm not saying we avoid lost people because how do we ever reach them with the gospel if we avoid them? But we don't partake in their lifestyle. We don't enjoy and fellowship in the things that they do because hopefully your heart has been changed to where you no longer want to do those things. But when you recall the schemes, that's my second point, you recognize the source and then recall the schemes of the enemy. What am I talking about there? In 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul is talking about forgiveness. More importantly, he's talking about holding on to unforgiveness and how that leads to bitterness and other things in your life. He says, 2 Corinthians 2.11, if you don't forgive, or you should be willing to forgive, because if you don't, lest Satan should take advantage, that means he'll gain an upper hand in our lives, for he says we are not ignorant of his schemes or his devices. But I'm afraid oftentimes believers are ignorant of his schemes. We need to understand that the enemy has been doing this for hundreds and thousands of years. He's observed people. He's observed you. He knows how we operate. And so while he may try different tactics, most of the time it's the same things over and over. Why? Because if it ain't broke, you don't need to fix it. And he knows he can trip us up with the same things over and over. And in verse 7... Here's how it works in Balaam's life, and here's how it will work in our life. If you entertain the bad source, even if you say, I'm seeing a whole bunch of red flags here, I probably should not listen to what this person is saying. Notice in verse 7 that the bad source brings good gifts. How many times is it that if the enemy can't get you to say yes to somebody, he'll get you to say yes to the stuff they offer you. You ever think about that? If he can't get you to flat out just accept the person, he will make things around that person or even about that person seem attractive so that you put down your guard, ignore the red flags, and receive something into your life that you should have ran away from. Amen? And so here's the thing. The Bible tells us that sin is pleasurable for a season. If sin was just awful from the get-go and we knew it was going to hurt us and be bad for us, it would be easy to avoid temptation. The reason why temptation is so hard for us is because it appeals to the flesh. It feels good in the moment. It gratifies us in the moment. It's what the flesh wants in the moment. And then afterwards, we're left empty and broken and 
perhaps worse because we entertained someone that we shouldn't under the guise that, oh man, it looks good, it feels good. It might be good, but it's not. Not everything that looks good, guys, is good. She may look good and not be good. He may look good and not be good. Consider the source before you just take the gifts and later find out that the cost that came with those things was more than you were willing to pay. We need to recall his schemes. Look at verse 8. We'll go on. He said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. Recognize the source. He should have never even went any farther when he considered the source. But they offered him gifts. In the New Testament, Balaam is described as being someone that loved money. And so he already had a heart bent towards these things. And so it didn't really matter where the source was. If it was going to line his pockets, his ears perked up. It attracted him a little bit towards that. The third thing is this in verse 8. He should have rejected the solicitation. He should have recognized the source, recalled the schemes, and he should have rejected the solicitation. Instead of saying, this is a bad source, the gifts look good, but ultimately it's going to be bad for my life, he brings them on in the house. He says, why don't you just come on in and spend the night and maybe we can work something out. Maybe God will come along and say everything is just going to be fine. The problem is the Bible says that bad company corrupts good character. If you let things into your life, or more importantly than that, if you let things into your home, don't be surprised when things in your home start to fall apart. If you open up the door and let things in that shouldn't be there, it's a lot harder to get them out than it is to never let them in. And too often believers open up their homes and their lives and let stuff in and then can't figure out why everything is going wrong in their life. Everything is a mess. Well, pastor... I've got myself in a bind. I'm in this relationship and things are bad and I don't know what to do and I don't know how to get out of this and I've made some choices and now I'm suffering because of my choices. Listen, if you don't want to wake up with the problem in the morning, don't invite it in the night before. That's the best counsel I can give you. But in the moment when you want something, you're going to open up the door and let something in and once it moves in, it's hard to get it to move out. You're better off to guard your heart than to try to cleanse your heart after. God can cleanse it, no doubt, but the consequences may linger with you, sometimes for a lifetime, if you make bad choices. There's forgiveness for anything, but consequences can't always be dealt with so easily. It's better to avoid those things if you can. He should have rejected this altogether. He should have said, listen, guys, this isn't going to work out. This isn't for me. Thank you for coming. Thank you for offering the gifts. But I'm going back home and see ya. But he doesn't. He lets them come in. And I thought about that in the life of David. Remember when David, in 2 Samuel, he was up on the roof walking around, and he looked over and he saw a lady bathing, 
and he looked, and then he looked again, and he looked a little longer, and then the look turned into a lust, and the lust turned into him sending for her, and after he sent for her, he sinned with her, and then he had to keep on sinning to cover up his problem. You see, once the devil casts the bait and gets you on the line, slowly starts to reel you in. And that's exactly what's happening here with Balaam. It's what happened in the life of David. And it can happen in your life. And maybe it is. Maybe you're here today and you said, man, I've opened up my life and my home and things are a mess now and I don't know what to do. Well, hopefully, you'll get some answers here today. Let's go on. Verses 9 through 14. What happens next? God comes to Balaam. He says to them, come on in my house and you wait here and I'm going to go into another room and see if I can get an answer from God. And before he even gets to ask, God's already knocked on the door and showed up. You notice that? It says in verse 9, Then God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? Imagine if God asked that about us. Who are these people in your social media feed? Who is that guy that you've been texting with? Who is that lady that you've been hanging around with? Who is that? Who is that? Why are these people in your life? Are they impacting your life for good? Are they helping you to grow in godliness? Because here's one of the things that disappoints me so much in our, in our world today and, and out, of, out of a lot of believers. And that is the idea that we are so autonomous and so free as Americans that nobody has a right to be in our business. Like, I can't read my Bible and I can't look at the church in the book of Acts and find any place in there where the church operated as a bunch of individuals who all did their own thing and nobody got in anybody's business. I can't find any scripture that says that the pastor, matter of fact, I can find the opposite, that says the pastor ought to not worry about my life and just let me do what I want and never say anything about it. And here's the problem. When someone loves you enough to get involved in your life, don't strike the donkey. The donkey is trying to save your life. Kids, young people, I've seen people, young people roll their, I did it too, roll my eyes at my parents shake my head, think I can't wait till I'm 18 and I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to move on out of this place and do it my way. Don't strike the donkey. Your parents are loving you enough to try to avoid you, keep you, and keep you out of trouble so that you avoid problems. The pastor is trying to love you enough to help you to avoid problems. Your friends, if they're godly friends, are sharing advice with you because they don't want to see you fall into some kind of catastrophic mess that's going to destroy your life. Don't strike the donkey in that situation. So God comes, he says, what are you doing? Who are these men with you? And he, did God not know? Like God wasn't asking that because he didn't know who they were. He wants Balaam to think. Like what are you doing here? What is going on here? You, you know the source. You know the request. Why are these people in your house? Balaam said to God, verse 10, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, is sent to me, saying, Look, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them. 
Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. Verse 12, God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. I don't care what translation you use, that is straightforward, easy to understand. Do not go with them. Period. Don't curse them. Don't go with them. So, there is godly counsel given from the Lord Himself. God speaks to them, to Balaam. And God speaks to us through His Word. You are never going to find approval and affirmation in something that God has already said no to. But so many people don't keep asking the question because they want answers, they want affirmation. They know what God has said, but they're looking for a loophole. They're looking for a way around it. They're looking for a way to justify their actions. Balaam's heart was already wrong because he wanted that stuff. He wanted to get the gain. He wasn't concerned about Israel or Moab. He was concerned about him. And when you let yourself become so self-absorbed and selfish that everything in life is about you, you are going to find ways to try to justify yourself and your actions over and over and over again. And it's going to end up costing you many things. Relationships, jobs, family, friends, and perhaps your soul, if you're not careful. So God gives the answer. He goes and tells the people, I can't help you, sorry, and they leave. But notice this. The enemy is relentless in his stalking. He won't just quit and be satisfied if you say no. If you get victory today, he's going to come knocking tomorrow. I wish I could tell you that every time you defeat him, he'll never come back to bother you again. He's going to be back. And sometimes he comes back stronger than before. And you better be ready. Look at verses 15 and, and following. Balak, after he hears this news, sends, sends again more priests and princes, more numerous and more honorable than they. And they came to Balak and, Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak the son of Please let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will honor you greatly, and I'll do whatever you say. Therefore, please come for me. Again, he offers more stuff. He turns up the pressure. You said no to these people, but here's some more important people. You said no to this money, but here's more money. You have an opportunity to gain fame and reputation if you will just follow me. How did, Je how did Jesus get tempted by the devil in the wilderness? Didn't he take him up to a high place on the temple and say, look at all these kingdoms. All of this can be yours if you'll just fall down and worship me. All of this can be yours if. That's what the devil says to us still. Whatever you want can be yours if, if you'll compromise, if you'll do it my way. And he starts to grow that desire in our hearts so that after a while, it's not even a question of him having to tempt us anymore because we already want it. We've already let that thing in our house. It's already sleeping in the room next door. It's already tucked away in our hearts. And so when he comes along and casts the bait, there's not even a battle anymore. Some of you have opened up your lives to things and people so much that the enemy doesn't even have to fight with you anymore. Matter of fact, you're 
striking the donkey more than you're striking back against the enemy. People are trying to help you. The Spirit of God is trying to counsel you. And you're angry at the wrong people. And I want you to see as it goes on, it's the same thing with Balaam. What did God say in verse 12 about going with the people? No. Period. Don't go. But yet in verse 19, here we go, a repeated scenario happens again. Now therefore, please you also stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. He opens up the house again. He lets the people come in the house again after God already said, you're not going. Don't go. You're not going to bless these, or you're not going to curse these people. You're going to bless these people. And yet, here they are again. Have you ever dealt with somebody and they come to you and they ask for counsel and they ask for advice and you help them? And a week later, they're back asking you the same thing again? Over and over and over again? Do you have people in your life where no matter how many times you try to offer them godly advice, they always do the opposite? No matter how many times you open up the Bible and sit down with them and show them what God says, they come back and say, well, I did this instead, and it didn't go well. Like sometimes you scratch your head so long that you want to scratch their head. Or you try to figure out what is going on in your mind that you think you can keep rejecting the Word of God and doing it your way, and that somehow this is going to ultimately end up working out okay. But yet, over and over and over again, as I said, we're not looking for answers. We're looking for affirmation. Balaam already wanted to go. He wanted to go and receive these things. And so now when they come back with better stuff, he's like, yes, absolutely. I've got to try to find a way. And Proverbs twelve fifteen, the Bible says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes. We should not go our own way, but heed godly counsel. You don't have to keep going to God. You don't have to keep coming to this altar and praying about something that God's already said no to. If He said no, then it's no. If the Bible says it's evil, it's evil. You're not going to find a loophole. You're not going to find an exception clause for you. If God says quit it, quit it. Or you're going to suffer the consequences if you don't. But Balaam keeps coming back and coming back and coming back. And notice what happens. God came to Balaam at night, verse 20, and said to him, If the men come to call you, rise and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. Verse 21, So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. Notice something here, because this has caused a lot of confusion for people. They said, God said no. Now he comes back and says, well, if they come to you, then you can rise and go. And that's caused confusion for a lot of people. I want you to notice, number one, nobody had to get up early and come knock on Balaam's door. You see that in verse 20? Or I'm sorry, in verse uh, 21? Balaam was up before everybody else, had the bags packed, the donkey ready, and he went down there to them. Because he wanted to go. But why would God say no in verse 12 and then say something different in verse 20? Because here's the thing, guys. 
God may allow you to do things, but God doesn't approve of the things you're doing. In the Bible, we see over and over where God allows people to do things that His hand was against. In big doctrinal theological terms, there's what's called the perfect will of God and the permissive will of God. Romans 12.2, what's it say there? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to discern what is the good and acceptable and what? Perfect will of God. That's where you want to be. You want to be in the perfect will of God in obedience to what He commands, in obedience to what He blesses, in obedience to what His hand and His power is upon. When you're operating in the perfect will of God, you don't have to ask any questions about what you're doing is right. But God will permit things to be done that are outside of His perfect will. In the Gospel of Luke, it talks about where Jesus was going to cast the demons into swine. And they ask, and He permits it to be done in that situation. And over and over, he permit, in this situation, He permits Balaam to do something that was not what His perfect will and plan would have been to be done. And when you operate in God's permissive will, there will be consequences that come. Discipline for the child of God, chastisement, or worse, if you're not a believer. So God allows this to go on. Balaam runs off and does it. And I want you to see something in the very next verse. We're almost done. Verse 22. Balaam went, verse 22, then God's anger was aroused because he went. It wasn't God's will. He told him his will in verse 12. He permitted it to happen in verse 21. The result of that is in verse 22. Then God's anger was aroused. That should cause us to pause as believers or unbelievers. Does it concern you at all if God is angry with you? Does that make you at all tremble to think that God, the God of all creation, could be angry about something you've done? And here's how you can know. I've found this true in my own life, and I've seen it in the life of believers that I've talked to over the years. Here's how you can know for sure that you are outside of the will of God in your life or in something. God's mad at you, and you're mad at the person trying to help you. I knew y'all would be quiet today. Probably wish I would have stayed on vacation another week, don't you? <laughs> you can be certain you're outside of the will of God when God is mad at you because you have disobeyed the word of God, and you're mad at the person trying to help you to see the error in your way. Your anger is misplaced. Your anger is unjustified. Because here's the thing about anger. Not all anger is bad. There's a godly anger. But you know what godly anger is? Godly anger is you being mad at the same things God's mad about. If your anger is justified, it's because your anger is going to be justified at the thing or the person that God is angry with. If God is angry about it, you should be angry about it. You should be angry about abortion. You should be angry about the way that the family is being destroyed in this world because of the things that are taking place. You should have a righteous anger about sin 
in your life and others' life that is destroying them. Absolutely. Amen, you should. There's nothing wrong with being angry at the right things in the right way. But when God is angry at you, you should be angry at you. You shouldn't be angry at the one trying to help you. Don't strike the donkey. He goes on, verse 23. The donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing with, in the way with his sword drawn in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back on the road. Isn't it funny? Balaam was a diviner. His whole purpose was to come and discern the will of a God. And yet here he is going down the road on the donkey and he can't see the angel of the Lord. The donkey sees it. He doesn't see it. You see that? Because when you get outside of the will of God, you lose all discernment. You lose all spiritual competence. The Bible says your conscience becomes seared. You become blinded and deceived and you can't see spiritual things that are right in front of your face. And God will put people, He put a donkey in His life, He'll put people in your life to try to help you. And just like Balaam, you strike the one that's trying to help you. In your anger, you strike the wrong person. He does it again in verse 27. I'm not going to read because we're running out of time here. But I do want you to see one more thing and we're done. This is not just normal in Balaam's life. It's normal in your life. It's normal in my life. You've got to recognize this today and you've got to battle against this every day of your life because we all have the propensity to do this. We all have the propensity to get mad at the people in our life that truly love us and want to help us. This donkey has been good to Balaam. This wasn't the first time he saddled up that donkey and went on a trip. That donkey had taken him places. He had been faithful. He had been good to him. And yet now, in this one situation, all that goes out the window. All the good that he's done. All the times that he's helped. And Balaam is just angry. And he says in, later in a verse, If I had a sword, I would kill you. That's how angry he is at the donkey. If I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you. And the angel of the Lord said, I do have a sword in my hand, and I would have killed you if this donkey wouldn't have stopped me. You see, he's mad at the donkey, ready to kill the donkey, and the donkey is saving his life. And if you've got good parents in your life who have been there for you, who have helped you, who have always stood by your side, and then they tell you things that you say, well, I don't know who they think they are. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm almost grown up. Listen. Don't strike the donkey. Their job is not to be your friend. Their job is to be your parent. you got plenty of friends. You don't need any more friends. you got parents, one set of them. And hopefully they're there for you and loving you and helping you. If your pastor has been good to you, he's been there when you called him, he's been at the hospital, he's counseled you, he's been faithful to preach the word to you, don't get mad at the pastor when he's trying to love you enough to point out things in your life that he's concerned about. I've got to give... I've got to give an account for everybody in this room. Hebrews 13, 17. When I stand before God, I've got this room to deal with as well as my own wicked heart. And so I'm going to do my best to try to help you along the way so that you don't fall into some mess on my watch. I can't make you do what's right, but I can certainly tell you what you should and shouldn't do based on the Word of God. That's my responsibility. And shame on any pastor in any church that's not willing to do that. That's not a place you need to be. It's just not. And so it goes on. Listen to what Paul does, and I promise I'm done. Galatians 4. 
verses 15 and 16. He says, what then was the blessing you enjoyed? Listen to what Paul says to the church in Galatia, to the Galatian people. I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Now, if Paul's thorn in the flesh, if it was bad eyesight, he said, church, you loved me so much, you were so good to me, that I truly believe if you could have pulled out your own eyes and given them to me, you would have done that. They loved him, and Paul loved them. They had a good relationship. Listen to what he says in the next verse, though. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Somebody can be good to you all of your life, love you, care for you, and in the moment when you get mad because they try to tell you something is wrong in your life, all that goes out the window and you're ready to kill the donkey. You're ready to beat the donkey. And the donkey has loved you in the past, and he's loving you now. And he's trying to help you. And in the moment you don't see it, and you're going to learn it the hard way if you're not careful. I'm going to close out with these last verses. I'm not going to read them. But in verses 28 through 33, God finally opens Balaam's eyes and he lets him see the danger of this situation. That the angel of the Lord has been blocking the path and the donkey has been over and over trying to stop Balaam from driving himself right into the sword of the angel of God. And in Proverbs 25, 19, it says this, putting confidence in an unreliable person in times of trouble is like chewing with a broken tooth. We've been there before, that hurts. It's like chewing with a broken tooth or walking on a lame foot. Brother Mike's got blood clots in his leg. I had them in mine. It's hard to walk when your leg's swelled up three sizes too big and you can't put your shoe on, right? Chewing with a broken tooth, trying to walk on a lame foot is not easy. And that's the same way it is when you put confidence in people that are unreliable. Don't seek out people that are going to tell you what you want to hear. Find people that have the boldness and the courage and the love to tell you what you want. I can find any old dummy out there when I was lost that would gladly go along with all my foolishness because they were just as foolish as me. And together we all would get together and act like a bunch of fools. It's easy. If you put trouble with trouble, you get double trouble. And that's how it works. And when someone's trying to spare you from that, don't strike the donkey and worst of all don't get mad at God when he's trying to lovingly draw you to himself because when you're lost you find all sorts of reasons why you hate the church you hate God's people you hate God you hate the Bible you hate this and you hate that because it interferes with what you want to do you got we're talking about it on Wednesday night about witnessing the people and and everybody's well, I believe that the Bible is corrupt due to the Council of Nicaea because the books have been changed and all these arguments and on and on and on and everyone's Listen, I found at the end of the day, people don't want answers. They just want to justify their lifestyle. They want to find a way to say, that book isn't true, therefore it doesn't matter what it says because I'm not accountable to it. At the end of the day, I've sat down with people and given them answer after answer after answer and their questions never end because it's not about questions, about affirmation. It's about finding a way to justify what they want to do. God said, if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart. If you want to know Jesus, he's not hard to find. But if you want to be justified in your lifestyle, you will find a million ways to strike the donkey so that you don't have to come to him. This morning, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation, and I'm just going to ask you straight up. Do you want to know Jesus, or do you want to do it your way?
Do you want to continue to find reasons to avoid the harsh reality that one day you're going to stand before God and have to give an account? Or do you really want to know Him? If you want to know Him, I pray that you'll come and let me show you in the Word of God how you can have a relationship with Him. And if there's people in this church, people in your family, kids, young people, if your parents are trying to love you and help you and you've had a bad time here lately, grab your mom, grab your dad, grab your grandparents if they're here. And come and say, I realize you love me and I'm tired of hitting the wrong person. You're trying to help me. The pastor's trying to help me. The youth pastor's trying to help me. The deacon's trying to help me. The ladies' ministry leader's trying to help me. They said some things that hurt my feelings, but they said it because they love me. They said it because they want to see good for me. They said it because they don't want to see me go down a path that maybe they went down before. Maybe they've been there and I didn't realize that they got themselves in a mess and they're trying to spare me from it. Take some humility to say I was wrong, but I know you're trying to help me and I thank you for that and I'm going to work on that. Will you help me to work on that? That's what we all need, guys. I didn't preach this at you today. It's just as much for me as it is for anybody else. Don't strike the donkey. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Pray as we sing this hymn of invitation.